Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, please. Mark 14. The first sermon I ever preached was five minutes long. I'm giving you, if Cindy was here, she would say, give us one of those today. (laughs) Hardly qualifies as a sermon, more of what we call a sermonette by a preacherette. I can still picture the auditorium, not vividly, but I can kind of picture the auditorium. I was there with a singing group from college, and and the the young men in the group took turns with a a devotional message at the end of the concert. It was supposed to be 10 minutes long, and it only came out five minutes long because I said everything I knew in five minutes. (laughs) We have different words for sharing the word of God, we, we use the word sermon, or more commonly in our circles, we call it a message when it's, when it's been well prepared and well laid out and has some, some substance and some body to it. When it's short and kind of to the point, maybe just a quick uh, point about living the Christian life, we call it a devotional, something about being devoted We have these various labels. Well, today we're going to have a message about devotion, but I assure you it will be full length. (laughs) From Mark chapter 14, we're going to begin a series of studies through the events that Christ went through in the week before his crucifixion and then on through to the resurrection As we go from now until that first Sunday of April, uh, which is Easter, we're just going to step away from the study of 1 Corinthians and invest ourselves in in thinking through these events and and looking at what Christ experienced and seeing what they might teach us. And we're going to begin today with an event that happened a couple of days before what we call the Last Supper or the the Passover that Jesus experienced. Uh, participated in. Mark 14. After two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it it might even be clearer to say in a couple of days it was going to be the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery to put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do do them good, but me you do not always have. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad, and they promised to give him money. So he sought 
how he might conveniently betray him. I believe that, that uh, it's not an accident that these two events are laid side by side, sort of interrelated, if you will. I believe that Mark, by God's inspiration, laid these two stories side by side to call us to compare and contrast the devotion of two very different followers of Christ. See, Judas and Mary were both devoted, but they were devoted to two different things, or two different people, if you will. And so the first example of devotion that we'll consider is Mary, and uh, you might say, well, Mary's name is not here. That's uh, correct. Mary's name is mentioned in the other accounts of this story, and so we're going to refer to her as Mary. And uh, Mark chooses just to refer to her as an anonymous woman. But Mary's devotion was the product of time spent with Christ. Mary didn't just wake up in the morning and think, I'll go spend this expensive perfume on Christ. It was the result of time she had spent with him. And if we go back in time just a little bit, you remember this episode from the life of Christ and the life of Mary. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. What do you suppose Martha thought about this when she fully grasped who Jesus was eventually? Here she was ordering Christ what to do. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Here we have a picture of Mary. Jesus has come to their house, and he sits down, and she just sits there and says, I'm just here to listen. Boy, that is the picture of that is the picture of discipleship. I'm here to learn from you. The food can wait. Mary was one of the few who quickly realized the greatness of the words of Christ. Many people realized there was something unique about him, like, these, like at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we read this. It, it, so it was when Jesus had ended his his teaching, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Many people were astonished. Many people went away talking about what he said, but not very many really took it to heart and received it. On one occasion, Christ had, had, had done a, a tremendous miracle, and then he did a tremendous teaching but it was hard to hear, it was hard to understand. And the scripture says this, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. That's not talking about the 12 who we call the apostles, the disciples. He said many of them went back and walked with him no more. That's the crowds of people. Then Jesus said to the 12, are you also going to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what happened to Mary. Like the other 12, she was a follower of Christ. 
who was open to his words, and they changed her. They changed her just as Christ said they would change her. Listen to what he said here. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit. They are life. God sends his power through his truth, and those who welcome it with an open heart and an open mind are changed by it they become disciples they become devoted to christ like mary was it's still the word of god that changes lives today faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god i am just a messenger this book is just the messenger of god's truth when you hear it with open ears and an open heart and open mind God brings faith into your life and you become a child of his. John alludes to this same truth at the end of his gospel. Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. The Bible is written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, drinking in his word, and the result was she became a believer. If your faith is small today, if your faith is non-existent, the key to a growing faith, the key to becoming a true child of God is to sit at the feet of Jesus, to read the word, to let it affect you, to let it change you. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and she became a believer. Now, there's another example of devotion in this passage, and it's the devotion of Judas. Judas' devotion came from his own heart. Um, we read about this. This story is recorded for us in several of the Gospels, and the one in John is especially instructive to showing us what was in Judas's heart. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said... Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now here's John's comment, um, the perspective of time as he looked back. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box. And he used to take what was putting in it. Judas was the treasurer. And he was a thief. Turn back in Mark to chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, Jesus tells us where Judas' actions came from. Mark 7, verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed... Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, coveting, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile a man. The sin in Judas's life came from Judas's heart. Like Mary, Judas also spent time with Christ. In fact, he probably spent more time directly with Christ than Mary did. You know, Jesus 
conducted his ministry on earth for three years. And the disciples were literally following him around. There were times when he sent them out to do some work, but a lot of that time they were traveling as a group and he was teaching and training and demonstrating. And Judas was there. I mean, he was listening to the Son of God talk himself. But he refused to hear with an open heart, to have an open mind to God's truth because of his own agenda. I would submit to you that he had an agenda, first of all, of self-preservation. That is the sentiment that goes like this. I like my life just the way it is. I like my life just the way it is. I have no desire to change my life. In particular, I have no desire to stop certain sins that are part of my life. I like them. I like the way my life is. Many years ago, I, we had a, a young man in our, our youth ministry who uh, did not demonstrate the life of Christ in his life, even though he was raised in a Christian home, had been in that church all of his life, all of his 15 years, and one day I heard through the grapevine that he had accepted Christ as his Savior. And so I went out and I said, hey there, so-and-so, I heard you accepted Christ. And, yeah. And I said, you've been in church all this time, you had a Christian family all this time, why did you wait so long? Well, I knew some things were going to have to change. You know? He... He had been in church long enough to know that the Christian life is not one full of sin. It is a righteous life. And you will have to let go of some things. And Judas, apparently and particularly, loved his stuff. Maybe he loved his position that he bought with his stuff. And he was not interested in coming over to Christ's way of life. He had an agenda of self-preservation he also had an agenda, I believe, of self-righteousness. There are people, like Judas, who determine to defend their own personal goodness. I am good enough. I remember talking with a man, sharing Christ with a man, and he looked at his life and rehearsed a good deal of it to me and said, aren't I good enough? And from what I could tell, he was a basically good man. He wasn't you know, he wasn't a terrible sinner by outward uh, esteem. Of course, that's not the way God sees. But the answer is no. You're not good enough without Christ. I'm not good enough without Christ. Nobody's good enough. If I have one sin, I'm worthy of hell. I'm not good enough. Somehow Judas didn't get the fact that he was not good enough without Christ the third part of his, his agenda, and the most obvious part of his agenda, was self-service. And that comes with, with this issue of money and of stealing. I, I don't know what he, uh, what he did with his money. I don't know if he was just poor with handling money, and so he always had some bill to pay. I don't know if he was greedy. I don't know if he was saving up to buy a business. I, I don't know what he did, but he stole, he, he pilfered out of the treasury and then when this opportunity came to betray Christ, and they offered him 30 pieces of silver, a huge paycheck, if you will, he just couldn't turn that down. 
This seems to have been Judas's particular struggle. He was after money. It's natural to crave money as it appears to be the way to security and happiness. But what is utterly amazing is that just as, as great as the teaching of Jesus must have been in person, and as great as the work Jesus was doing, and remember at the end of the Gospel of John, John said if we wrote down everything Jesus did, all the books in the world couldn't contain it. And so as great as that work was, and as great as the teaching of Jesus was, Judas still managed to cling to his own agenda for all of that time. I picture him like this. La, 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 I can't hear you. He had to be doing something to actively push away the, the influence of Christ, the power of Christ. Um, 2 Peter 1 says, God called us by glory and virtue. The glory is the demonstration of God's power in the life of Christ. The virtue is the demonstration of God's character in the life of Christ. You know, occasionally we get around somebody who just seems to be exceptionally godly, and there's, there's just a, an attractiveness, and, and we want to be around those people. And somehow, somehow Judas repelled that, and, and, he, and he actively pushed back. I don't know how he did it for three years. In Arthur Pink's commentary, he wrote this, Judas had been in the closest contact with the Redeemer for three years, yet the love of money still ruled his heart. Unbelievable. So we have two examples of devotion. Mary was devoted to Christ. Judas was devoted to Judas. Back in, in Mark chapter 14, we get to see the expression of Mary's devotion. Um, starting in verse 3, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard, or uh, the, some translations just use the word nard. The, uh, the, the plant, I, I, forgive me if I don't pronounce this right, uh, Jetamansi, I believe, is the name of the plant. Still grows. They still make perfume out of it. Um, spikenard was taken from the Latin name into the uh, King James Bible. The spikenard is the perfume that comes from this plant. And when it says, uh, here it's, it's translated as very costly oil. In, in the other uh, gospel accounts, it says pure. In other words, it's what we call the essential oil. If you had... And, and another, one of the other accounts talks about a pound of the essential oil. And I don't know if you understand perfume, but if you buy a big bottle of, of toilet water, like most of us do, there's a little teeny bit of the essential oil in there, and the rest of it is alcohol and, and so on and so forth. But the essential oil is extremely pungent, and that's what she had. She had a pound or 12 ounces of the essential oil. And the value, we are, we're, we're told here that the value was 300 denarii. And the place where we understand, and, and that word denarii is translated sometimes as a pence or a penny. And we say, well, how, could, how much could 300 pennies be worth? But we really find out the definition of that penny. 
from Matthew 20 when it says men were hired to work all day and at the end of the day they were paid a denarii. That was their day's pay. So that would be the way to understand that word. It was worth 300 days pay. Now I just gave an example of the of that value and said, you know, if the person was working today and they made a little bit more than minimum wage in Washington, they're making 10 bucks an hour, and if they worked for 10 hours, they worked long hours in, in that time, and that would be $100 a day times 300 days means this would have been worth $30,000. I would call that an extravagant act of worship. Uh, I haven't known many Christians in my adult life who could make such a generous gift occasionally God allows people to have funds to where they can write checks of that size and that's a wonderful thing we may look at this and say wow I'll never write a check for thirty thousand dollars but you have something that's more valuable that Christ wants I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. See, God doesn't value our gifts or our worship based on how big it looks to us. You know, like, like if suddenly you were able to write a check for $30,000, that may or may not be seen by God as an extravagant gift because God would know your whole life. This is the extravagant gift that God wants us to start with, our bodies. Present your body a living sacrifice. That's really an extravagant gift. I am totally at your disposal. Our starting point of devotion to Christ is the devotion of our whole life. Out of that devotion should come acts of worship, like the Lord's Supper, like singing his praise, like giving our money, like doing our service, whatever it might be. We give our whole life to God and we work out from there the specifics. Can you imagine a man who married a wife and said, now, here's the way our marriage is gonna be. I'm gonna be living with you most of the time. But some of the times, I'm going to stay with other women. You think, uh, excuse me. Uh, not what I thought that meant when we stood up there and made those vows. That's a crazy thing. You would say he's not wholly devoted to his wife. The question we need to ask about devotion is, are we wholly devoted to Christ? No matter what the size of the gift you put in the offering, the question is, does it come out of a life of whole devotion? Would you ever say to Christ, now Christ, I appreciate my salvation, and I'm gonna live for you on Sundays and Wednesdays and on Saturday when there's a men's breakfast. But the other days, those are my days. Christ, I'm going to put some money in the offering, 
but the rest of the money, that's mine. And I'm going to do with it what I want. I think Mary, I, I don't know if Mary was phenomenally wealthy or if she had one valuable possession, but she took that one possession and gave it to Christ. Judas, on the other hand, his devotion was expressed in betrayal for money. Judas was devoted to Judas. Let's follow the story here in Mark 14, starting in verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him. And when they heard it, they were glad, and they promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Drop down to verse 18. Now as they ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one by one, Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? As truly believing people, they were concerned to be open and honest about the possibility of their own sin. And Jesus answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. Now down to verse 43. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve with the great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss... He is the one, seize him, lead him away safely. Makes you wonder what Judas really thought was going to happen. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And then they laid their hands on him and took him. Judas' actions demonstrate what he was devoted to. He was devoted to money. You give me 30 pieces of silver, I'll give you Christ. We don't know exactly what went through his mind. We don't know exactly what he was thinking about this whole scenario. That word safely there is a cue that maybe he didn't really understand what was coming next. One commentator put it this way, Judas was a lover of money. He thought at first, as did the other disciples, that the kingdom was to be an earthly kingdom, and he was doubtless ambitious for a lofty and lucrative position, the treasureship, no doubt where he would handle thousands instead of the few paltry dollars belonging to the humble group to which he had joined himself. This wasn't the last defection by a servant of God. Paul had a similar experience. Paul was in prison and he wrote to Timothy, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And he's departed for Thessalonica. Demas was devoted to himself because he loved the world. Matthew 7 says, Jesus said, Beware of the false prophets who come in sheep's clothing. They look good, but inwardly they're actually wolves. You will know them by their fruit by the actions, by the things that you see on the outside. You don't have to judge their hearts. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, 
by their fruits, you will know them. And so we see Judas and we understand that what came out of his life demonstrated what was in his heart. And the question we need to ask ourselves today is, does my life demonstrate a devotion to Christ or to my own agenda? Because these two, these two devotions produced effects. The first is Mary's devotion, which produced blessing. Listen to uh, the account of this uh, from John chapter 12. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now, why did I say Mary was a blessing to God along with that idea of the fragrance being, filling up the house? It comes from the Old Testament sacrificial system. And when they offered a burnt sacrifice, look at this. You will burn the ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Why was it a sweet aroma? I've smelled some things burn. I used to be a firefighter. And when living things burn, it doesn't always smell good. But why would God call it a sweet aroma? Because God didn't, wasn't talking about the literal physical smell. He was saying, here is a worshiper who came to confess his sin, to thank me for a blessing, whatever it was, and he offered this sacrifice, and they burned it, and it came up to me, and I said, wow, that smells good. When she broke that vessel and poured that uh, perfume onto Christ, Christ was blessed. He was blessed with the expression of her worship as God is blessed with our expressions of worship. Hebrews 13, Therefore let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But don't forget to do good and share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. This is the sacrifice we might call of, of pure worship, where we're praising God. This is applied worship, where we're going out and doing good works. We had kind of an example of that today. We gave money to help build a hospital so people can be reached for Christ. It is applied worship. And we had the pure worship of, of meditating on Christ. And the great thing is this. God says, that makes me happy. It makes me happy. It blesses me. Mary was a blessing. There's one other kind of worship that God says blesses him. And this, the, the worship of giving. Paul said, I have received the, your gift, and I abound, I'm full. I've received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. It is a sweet-smelling aroma an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. When that hospital was dedicated in Togo, and we didn't get to hear the words that were said or the songs that were sung, we didn't get to hear the prayers that went into that ahead of time, but God received it as a sweet-smelling aroma. If you give whatever it might be, your time, your effort, your money, from a devoted heart, God is blessed. But that wasn't the only blessing that produced by Mary's devotion. Mary gained a blessing from God or she received a blessing from God. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna say she did this to earn something. That's not my intent, but she did it out with a, a pure heart of worship 
look what happened in return. Mark 14, 9. I say to you that wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, that this, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. And here we are in 2015 preaching and talking about Mary and her great devotion to Christ. When we, with a sincere heart, serve God as he has asked us to serve him, he takes note of that and he returns a blessing to us. I would say that the the biggest part of that blessing is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In other words, as we serve God, he makes us more like Christ And that's a blessing here and now in and of itself to become uh, more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more contented, and so on. But there's also a blessing farther down the road. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Um... Mary poured that ointment on Christ and it lasted forever. It lasted forever. (laughs) Already it's lasted 2,000 years. Christ took note of that. God the Father took note of that. We read in Scripture about rewards that will be given to, to those who faithfully serve Christ certainly this is part of the, the, the reward that she will receive, contribute to her reward in heaven. In stark contrast to Mary's, to the blessing produced by Mary's devotion, we see that Judas' devotion produced death. First of all, Judas was partially responsible for the death of Christ. Now we need to be careful with our theology here, but if we, we look at verse 18, and following, we, we see that Judas betrayed Christ. That there, the, the, uh, the people who wanted to put Christ to death were prohibited from doing it because if they took him in public, the people who thought Jesus was at least a good teacher, they would have made an uproar about it. And so they needed to do it in private, but they didn't know where that private place would be. And so that's what Judas provided to them. He said, I know a place where he goes that will be private, and he went and told them, okay, he's there now. He's gone out to this garden. And so they came to this place. At that time, everybody would have been in their homes. And here's Jesus out in what we would call a park, a city park. And he's out there, and Judas and these others are able to come and arrest him. Now, I understand in the mind of God that God knew that Christ was going to be sacrificed from eternity past. There's other scripture that tells us that. But we also could go to Acts chapter 2 when when the apostle Peter stood up and he preached to the Jewish people of that day and he said, this Jesus who you took with wicked hands and put to death. So clearly he said, you folks out there who were saying crucify him, crucify him, you have a responsibility in the death of Christ. Just so, Judas has a responsibility in the death of Christ also. One commentator put it this way, Mary 
in her devotion unknowingly provides for the honor of the dead, Judas in his selfishness unknowingly brings about the death itself. I do think Judas was surprised by the fact that Jesus was going to be put to death. We see that from both this word safe that's used here and we also see it from his reaction when he finds out later what's actually going on and we'll talk about that in just a minute. I do think he was surprised. That doesn't change the fact that he sinned in what he did. Can you imagine all of eternity knowing you were part of putting Christ to death in a very personal sense? Judas was partially responsible for the death of Christ. That was one of the results of his devotion. The second one was Judas killed his self-worth. From Matthew 27, 5, then Judas, Jesus' betrayer, seeing what had, that Jesus had been condemned to death, was remorseful. And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Now, you that have been here a long time know that I don't believe it is our job to pursue our own self-esteem. But when we live a normally godly life, we have a sense of being God's child and the confidence that he gives us and the worth that, he, that comes through the righteousness that he puts into us. When Judas did this tremendous act of sin, he made his life of no earthly value. And he saw it. And he had great remorse. He said, man, I have messed up big time. Now what I want you to understand today is that result came from that devotion Judas loved Judas, and the result was he killed his own self-worth, and of course we know that he took his own life. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple, and he departed and went and hanged himself. He was in despair. Jesus called him the son of perdition, We have to understand that Judas died and went to hell by his own hand. You see, somebody else betrayed Christ too, didn't they? Peter. But Peter came back to Christ for forgiveness as Judas could have. You know, there have been a few people who have survived a suicide jump off of a tall bridge, and in recent years they've done They've attempted to, to talk to those people and study what they're thinking and what goes on with a view to seeing how could we possibly intercede and keep those people from jumping. And uh, at least one in particular, I believe, jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. And they said, what were you thinking while you were falling down? And he was thinking, this was a big mistake. He, he regretted his decision. And by God's grace, he lived to tell about it. What do you think Judas thought when he woke up in hell? 
I think he thought, oh man, that was a bad decision. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that everybody who commits suicide is going to hell. That's not my point. What I'm trying to tell you is everybody who is devoted to self and lives a life of sin, when that life ends, you wake up in hell. And maybe it won't be till that day you realize, I made the wrong decision. How much better to be devoted to Christ like Mary was. The death isn't finished, though. Responsible for the death of Christ. He killed his self-worth. He took his own life. And he ruined his own name forever. He ruined his own name forever. Do you know that almost every time the name Judas is recorded in the Gospels, it says, Judas, the one who betrayed Christ. Judas, the one who betrayed Christ. There's another guy named Judas who was a disciple, and it says, Judas, not the one who betrayed Christ. I mean, if you're a guy named Judas in that day, and you're a follower of Christ, and, and you show up to church, hey, what's your name? My name is Judas. He ruined his name forever. Uh, I love Warren Wiersbe's observation. We call our daughters Mary, but no one names his son Judas. A lot of people talk about leaving a legacy. I, you know, I, I want to leave something good, have some good thought about my life that it was well spent. Look what Judas did. His devotion to himself and his own ways, this is the result. Whereas with Mary, we're, we're, we're honoring her, we're saying, I need to emulate her, I need to act like her, I need to be devoted like her. What a great legacy for her. In essence, there are only two devotions in the world, Christ or self, which means there are only two possible outcomes. And I think they're summarized in this verse right here. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows... Whatever a man is devoted to, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh, like Judas, will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. God is offering us eternal life, which begins now with our transformation and it culminates in our heavenly home but it begins with our devotion to Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray for your word to impact our hearts today. I pray for this devotional message that you would help us to consider our devotion. What are we devoted to? What is it that causes us to get up in the morning what drives us what what are what motivates us is it christ or is it self oh father we want to we want to leave a good legacy we want to have a good impact on the world help us
Help us to see our own hearts. Help us to be more like Mary and not like Judas. I pray in Christ's name, amen.